We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get into part two, Ryan, and that is our daily mailbag. Ryan Roberts joins us from uh, uh, I'm, his second office, I guess. Neither of us are in our normal places today, so we're all, both a little uh, little bit of a different su- su- surroundings today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we had to keep the baby home today, so the baby is in the large part of the house. So I've been vacated <laughs> to a different location. Same great analysis, but a different location today. <laughs> It's all good. We're gonna get as, as long as going. we as long as we don't hear Juliet screaming in the background. We're all good, yes, right? We'll be good. It's all good, man. Everybody understands. You got a baby. Yep. It's all good. <laughs> so, Ryan, let's dive into our daily Q and A. We've got some good questions here so far. Some of them are related to what we've been talking about. Some of them are not, and we have some good comments too. Seven Mules, I did want to bring this up. He had this up at the very beginning. Seven Mules says he's getting married to a Buckeye on Saturday. Going to miss the shows on the honeymoon, but can't wait to catch up when we get back. Yes, I would be very disappointed if you were listening to our show during your honeymoon, unless she was getting a massage or doing something fun. That would be the only exception. Otherwise, you can always get caught up when you get back. But hey, congratulations, Seven Mules. We're, we're very happy for you, and welcome to the club. We're all married guys, right? I think all the Irish Breakdown guys are married, correct? Vince is married, you're married, yep. Sean's married, and I'm married. So uh, yes, we, we 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 we're rather fond of this institution, and it's been good for us. So we wish you wish you all the best. Wish you all the best, Kenny Moore, with a comment says to even realistically have this conversation. This goes back to the show we just completed, which is can Notre Dame be a national title contender? And I'm going to read Kenny's comment. And I do want to give you a chance to kind of share your thoughts on it, Ryan, as we as we transition. And I think this is a good way to to open it up to you. Kenny says to even realistically have this conversation, this offense has to be way more dynamic and more importantly, way more consistent, especially at home. Certainly possible if, if Tyler Buckner is as good as most think. I think Kenny is spot on yeah. with his assessment. They have to be explosive and efficient. And that's what Kenny's saying. Dynamic and consistent are the same things as explosive and efficient. It's the same thing, the same thought process. So I think Kenny nails it, Ryan. I'd like to kind of hear from you is, do you think Tyler Buckner is capable of being the kind of quarterback that can lead to the type of offense that Kenny's talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to think that he can't be, in my opinion, right? It's why why was he so heavily recruited coming out of high school? Why have Notre Dame fans just in general been so 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 looking forward to seeing him take the reins at quarterback? It's because of the, the the dynamic attributes that you talked about, right? There is been some limitations to the Notre Dame offense over the last couple of years because of the quarterback play. Like, let's call it what it is. Jack Cohn, for as quick processing, accurate of a quarterback as he was, he wasn't a dynamic runner, right? Like he wasn't going to win outside of structure. Ian Book, we've talked about this many times, is a guy that just did not trust his eyes all the time, right? And he was a guy that was just not willing to take the shot all the time. So there were some limitations there. Now, obviously, we need to see all the attributes come together with a guy like a Tyler Buckner. But I've seen in spurts that although Tyler's going to make mistakes, one thing I, Brian, I, I, I hope that you agree with this is that Tyler Buckner is not afraid to make a mistake though, which I think mm-hmm. is very, very important. He's not afraid to take a chance. Cause he, he, cause if you are afraid, you won't make, you won't even try the throw. So maybe you limit exactly. some interceptions, but you're also going to limit a ton of yards and big plays. There's no question. And that's what we saw with the guy that, you know, with the in book, I mean, it, Love Ian Book, great kid and all that. But that's why he was not a great quarterback, because he was not willing to take those chances. And, Ryan, to your point, you can't win. What's the whole premise of this? Tyler Buckner can just be okay, and Notre Dame's going to beat nine of the teams on their schedule. It just sure. That's where the talent level is right now. Can you beat Ohio State? Can you beat Clemson? Can you beat USC? Can you beat Georgia, Clem- You know, uh, Alabama, those teams? It, you can't do it with a quarterback that's not willing to, to go out and attack the other team. You just can't. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously there is no shortcomings for Tyler Buckner on the running side of everything, right? Like he's going to open things up. I heard your stat. I would love to get, you know, obviously see if that stat is hundred percent accurate, but I would say just off of, you know, just casual viewing last year, the inside, inside run, you know, inside zone seemed to be a really big element of success. Obviously when Tyler Buckner was involved in that and Part of it is the fact that he's such a willing runner as well. He's going to keep the box a little lighter than your typical quarterback that's maybe not much of a running threat. So he's going to bring a dynamic element as a runner. He's going to help the running game in general just based upon him being there. And I think that he's going to take some chances in the passing game. Are there going to be some moments where you're just kind of shake your head like, man, that is a first-year starter mistake? Of course there is. But all I know is that I think that we're going to have a higher expectancy of creating explosive plays because I don't think Tyler Buckner is going to have any issue with taking those chances in order to make big plays. Sometimes you got to take chances. Not everything is going to be wide open all the time, obviously. So the answer is yes. For me, I agree though with Kenny's statement. I think that you need to be explosive and efficient. And I think that Mm -hmm. what Tyler Buckner brings to you in a run game perspective is the way that you can stay efficient, right? Like you're going to run against a lot of lighter boxes It's going to cause some easy throws off of RPO action and different things, off the play action game. There's going to be opportunities. We just need to see Tyler Buckner be a a more consistent deep ball thrower to create those explosive plays. If he's able to do those things, then, yeah, I see no reason why Notre Dame can't contend for a national championship with a sophomore quarterback, with a young first-year starting quarterback. He's certainly talented enough. There is not a talent deficiency with a guy like Tyler Buckner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jim Hall says, I think you are looking on the wrong side of the ball. Defense wins championships. And and, and we get this a lot, especially from people from a previous generation. Look, the reality is, is you can't win a championship without being good on both sides of the ball. But there's zero evidence that it's defense that wins. It's just not that's not college football right now. Will it will it cycle back to that? Sure, it, it, it's college football is cyclical. But you know, even you look at Georgia last year. Part of the reason Georgia was much better than they had been in past years, Ryan, is they were they could score better than they did in the past. Now they didn't do that in the title game, but last year was an anomaly. Last year was a a year where, as we said going into the season, it was a down year in college football. Yep. You get away with that. But I'll still contend if Bama just has one of their two stud receivers in that game for four quarters, Georgia doesn't have a title. You know, and Kirby Smart becomes, you know, a, a, a punchline guy that can't ever win the big one, right? Sure. So de- I've said this defense can get you to the show, but you want to win a championship now, you got to score. Have I mean, the, the, Clemson's defense in 2019 was really good. Like, I don't think people realize how good Clemson's defense was in 2019, Ryan. And they could not stop. They could not stop Joe Burrow. They gave up 13.5 points per game that year. Here's how many points they gave up that season. 14, 10, 6, 10, 20, 14, 10, 7, 14, 10, 3, 3, 17, 23 to Ohio State, and then 42 to LSU. <laughs> Right. There was no defense stopping that. They gave up 13.5 points per game that year, despite giving up 42 in the title game. And they had some dudes on that team. I mean, Isaiah Simmons was a freak that year, but it just didn't matter because when you have that kind of elite offense, a good defense can only keep. And look, and, and here's the thing Clemson's defense kept LSU in check for like a quarter and a half. I'm like, wow, they're doing a great job shutting down this defense. Like they they kept giving the offense like short fields and they couldn't take advantage of it. But after a while, you just can't keep a def- an offense like that down. And that's been true 2018 Clemson. It's been I mean, Notre Dame had a great defense in 2018. Great defense. But all a team that has Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and Justin Ross and T. Higgins needs is five big plays and they put 30 on you. That's sure. it. The game has changed. And and we have we have to understand that, and embrace that, and you can't just be a great deep. Notre Dame had an elite defense in 2012, but when they got on the big stage, they got embarrassed. It was 42 points because you have to score. 
you have to be able to score. But I do think the premise is that, is that yes, Notre Dame needs to be very good on defense, but I think that's the one aspect of this team that I'm least worried about. Sure. Just because of experience. I mean, we've seen them be really good for years. Mm-hmm. You know, Notre Dame hasn't given up over 20 points per game since I think 2016 or 2017, I believe. I'm going to look at that now. And if you take out touchdowns that they allowed, they gave up 21.5. I believe if you take out touchdowns that the defense and special teams gave up that year, they're probably under 20. So, I mean, that's something I well, still figure out too. And I, I also think that what the shortcomings we've seen in Notre Dame in big games, did, did anybody really watch those games and say, wow, the defense was the issue? I mean, we all other than not that since that. 2012. Right. Not since exactly. 2012. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think a decade that, ago. Can you believe that? That's, that's, that's <laughs> crazy. been 10 years. It's great. I mean, I think back to the the one Brian where Trevor Lawrence was a freshman. What did they lose? Like thirty to three that game, right? But if you watch that game, Notre Dame had chances there, man. They just couldn't mm-hmm. do anything offensively. I thought the defense right. actually played pretty well that game. Yeah. It wasn't a bad football. Clemson game had four big plays in that game. That's it. Exactly. Yep. That's it. That's the most harassed I've ever seen Trevor Lawrence in a game. I mean, they were at they were after him all day. Juan says, uh, th- this is, again, where I think people are missing the boat. The only school I've seen win the championship without a dominant defense was LSU. And, and again, y'all are missing the point. What did those elite defenses do in the postseason? I- I'm going to pull it up here again now. I think, what did I, what did I say that, uh, Ryan? I've said this before, but I think teams that have won the playoff games have averaged like 40 points a game in those games. Not, not for the season, in those games. And the winners of the national title games, this is before this year's, we're averaging about 40 points a game. Yeah. And and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring this up again and make this point again because again, defense can get you to the show, right? So the elite defenses that people talk about will get you to the show. But if you want to win a championship, you've got to be able to score. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna point it out again. Let me I'm just pull up. I'm going to point and pull up the scores again. All right. College football national championship. Let me pull it up here real quick. So here's what, here's what the, the winners have done in championship games in recent years. Okay. This past year, what did Georgia scores like in the thirties, but it wasn't that much. They had a pick six late. Right. So again, the only exceptions to this are Bama versus Georgia last year, 2021, the championship winning team scored 52 points in the title game. 2020, the title-winning team scored 42 points. 2019, the title-winning team scored 44 points. 2018, the title-winning team scored 26, Bama versus Georgia. 2017, title-winning team scored 35. They gave up 31. 2016, the final score of the championship game was 45 to 40. 2015, the the first playoff championship, the final score was 42 to 20. And if you go look at the last title game of the BCS era, Florida State beat Auburn 34 to 31. That was a an elite Florida State defense. And they gave up 31 points to an Auburn team with a quarterback who couldn't throw the football in Nick Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. So again, defense, this is not the 1980s. Defense can get you to the show, but if you want to win a championship, you have to score. And Ryan, your point about 2018 Notre Dame is the perfect example. It's mm-hmm. a perfect example. Notre Dame had a great defense that season and played really good against Clemson. And, and you held them to one of their lowest outputs of the season. You held them 14 points below what Alabama gave up to them in the championship game. And you still lost by 27. Why? Because you had no offense. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you have to score 30 plus in the championship game to have a chance to win, unless you're playing a team that's just like you, which is what we've seen from Alabama and Clemson or Alabama and Georgia. Didn't Clemson that year say something like Alabama uh, Notre Dame was the best team they played all year or something yeah, like that? Yeah, they, they so. made that comment publicly, but privately, I, I've said this to people before. I, I've yeah. said I, I have friends that coach in the ACC and coach in those leagues, and they said that the Clemson coaches were telling people before the playoff games that they were more worried about Notre Dame than they were about Alabama wow. that year. It's interesting. So very interesting. Yeah, they and, did. And that, and that's once telling. They knew they, once they beat Notre Dame, they knew they knew they were going to win. Yeah, I mean that's telling too, right? Like Notre Dame has had Notre everybody knows what Notre Dame is going to be good at real like recent history wise, right? Offensive line except for like, you know, maybe one year here and there, especially last year, are always consistently very good. The defense has been pretty good aside from under, you know, your boy Van Gorder there for a couple of years. It's been a really good, really good unit. I mean, that's a fireable offense right there, Ryan. You call Brian Van Gorder my boy. That's a fireable <laughs> offense. <laughs> A big fan, big fan of Brian B. Um, yeah, but I mean, historically speaking, over the last few years, Notre Dame's defense has not been the shortcoming. Their offensive line has not been the shortcoming. That there's parts of the team, though, that we understand are the shortcomings: quarterback, passing game, just in general. And some of that's coaching. Some of that is just been not player player development in some areas, right? So we need to figure that out, you know, as, as a collective here. If you're Notre Dame, because it's it's something that needs to change. Like you guys can't keep hitting your head against the wall and expecting something to change. Right. Something's got to change with it. And I think that's why you're seeing so much difference of approach already under this new head coaching staff. Agree. All right. M go Irish says you need Tyler Buckner and the running backs to get effective yards on the ground versus Ohio state and manage a precise short passing game with tight ends playing a big role that are playing Ohio state game one than later. Right. I am with him on the first line to a degree. And mm-hmm. I'm with him on the end of it about I'd rather play Ohio State in game one than down the road. I I, I will say this, however, you are not going to beat Ohio State, in my opinion, with just running the ball and throwing quick game. You're not. You're going to have to create some big plays down the field because here's the deal. I don't think much of Ohio State's defense. I don't think their talent's as good as people think. I do think Jim Knowles is a very good defensive coordinator, though. And yeah. I think he hired good new assistants. And while I think it's going to take them some time to adjust, if all you do is come out and run the ball and throw a quick game, they will be able to stop you. They will. You have to be able to tack down the field. You have to be able to hit some play action shots. You have to be able to hit some levels concepts where you know, you're dragging them up and hitting them over the top on a, on a deep drag. You're going to have to be able to take some shots down the field. Yes, quick game will be important. I want to see the RPOs. I want to see Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsey and Avery Davis get the ball in space. I want to see those the running backs get the ball in space. I want to see the run game be effective. But if Notre Dame cannot also complete multiple throws down the field, Ohio State will eventually create enough stops. Because here's the thing. The Ohio State game is going to be a lot like a national title game in that you are not going to beat them 17 to 14. You're going to have to score. In the two games Ohio State lost last year, they scored over 20 points in both games. And, you know, as you think back to some of the losses they've had in, in recent years, I think all, almost all of them they've scored in the 20 points, in the 20s in points. You're going to have to score to beat them. And the way that their offense is, we expect it to be, Ryan, is if you come out and you're just methodical, but you're not putting points on the board, you're going to get beat and you're going to get beat convincingly. Yeah. And so I don't disagree with anything he said. I just think he's missing something, right? All those things are important, but you can't just leave it at that. You have to be able to get the ball down the field and be explosive. If you don't do that, you're going to have a harder time scoring enough to beat Ohio State, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the two biggest negatives on on Ohio State's defense is their lack of experience at linebacker. They really struggled in that department last year, and their secondary wasn't good last year. Like I I like the the Ronnie Hickman kid that's number fourteen there. I think he's going to be a good football player, and I think the one young corner they have that was a freshman last year is going to be a good football player as well down the line. But right now, that is the two biggest question marks of their team. So you need to stretch stretch that team in all areas in the passing game. Like, this just can't be a quick game. I get the premise. I understand it. I think especially being effective on the ground. I think we're going back to the efficiency part of the conversation, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think just, you know, uh, I, the one thing that I, you know, the precision passing game with, with tight ends playing big role. I don't. Like I, I think that it's a little counterproductive to to because I, I, I'm just speculating on this one from from the comment. But when I hear th- to the tight ends, I'm thinking like, oh, you're thinking that we're just going to have like a power running game and we're just going to hit play action off of a power running game. I think you need to spread this Ohio State team off, right. especially if you're a Tyler Buckner led team that's trying to lighten the box. I don't want to put 12 personnel in there. I want to keep it 11. I want to keep it light, and I want to keep them guessing as far as. What's coming in the passing game? Right. Heavy play action, like you said, take some shots. It needs to be there needs to be an explosiveness in this offense. And I think one part, I'll take Lorenzo Styles against any corner that Ohio State has. I'll I'll take that advantage. I'll take Michael Mayer in the passing game against any linebacker or safety that wants to cover him. And, I think you have. And if you can get Braden Lindsey on some run, some stuff where you can get him off press, I'll take him in, in a in a in a race against any cornerback that Ohio State has as well. I'll add. And and as you said, there's not a linebacker or safety on their roster that can run and, and cover Michael Mayer. Not, not a one. So, sorry, back to back to no, no, I, no, no. It, it was exactly what I was trying to say is that I think that Notre Dame, Notre Dame is going to come into this game and people are just going to kind of assume that you know, this is the same old Notre Dame that doesn't yeah. have game speed, that doesn't have the ability to, to stretch and and create explosive plays. Yeah. And I don't think that's true anymore. Agreed. I think there's speed on this team, both in the backfield running uh running uh, playing wide receiver and i think michael mayer is going to be able to be a huge mismatch against steel chambers or whoever other whatever linebacker wants to try to kind of take control of that or they want to roll ronnie hickman down like i don't josh proctor whatever they want to end up doing either way i think notre dame has clear advantages it's going to be for me about picking your spots well and not being predictive like let's not be a predictable offense if you're notre dame and i would argue they also have a, a speed of quarterback as part yeah. of this too, you want space when you have that kind of kid at quarterback. And I'm curious, are you saying you're not saying don't run 12 personnel? There's obviously advantages to that, and and I like established line of scrimmage, but you just can't come out in 12 personnel all game like you did against Bam in exactly. the in the playoff game two years ago. Yeah, and expect to you know have the clock for 45 minutes against Ohio State because exactly. all you've done then, Ryan, is you've guaranteed that you're going to lose 24 to 21 instead of 45 to 41. That's all. Exactly. That's why I said controlling the clock for the most part. All it does is keep your your margin of defeat to in a lower scoring situation. You know, I, I mean, you've got to be able to create some big plays. You've got to be able to score, and yeah. that's going to be a, a big a big key. Yeah, yeah. Just my, I mean, my, my just what I was trying to to kind of put across. And again, I just want to reemphasize when I saw tight ends, I'm thinking in my mind that we're saying like, we need to be able to run the football. We need to establish like a heavy run package with multiple tight ends. I don't think that's what you need to do a lot. Like there's going to be spots where you have to run some 12 personnel, but for the most part, like you just said, Tyler Buckner is a quarterback where I want to spread things out a little bit. You know, I want to create space for my players, the best offensive lines in the game, both on the college level and on the NFL level right now, understand how to manufacture space and let their players make plays in space. That's what they do now. And Tommy Reese is a disciple of some of those offensive minds, you know, and that's why we expect. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am expecting that. 
I, I, I am. Here's a really interesting question, Ryan. Detroit Hunter says, do you think Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman need to end the quarterback competition early in the fall? No. I, I, I mean, wait, let me think. Um, I think it depends for me. I'll, let, I'll answer. I'll give mine while you're I'll, thinking. I'll, well, I was just going to say, I, I think that it ends when there's a clear cut winner, right? Like I, I don't think that you need to drag it out. If Tyler Buckner is completely outproducing Drew Pine, you know, the first few days of camp, why are we delaying that conversation? Right? Like I, I think it's really dependent on what the race looks like. Like I'm not going to cut it short just to give Tyler extra confidence. I'm going to give it to him if he earns it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, I think there's the thought of, look, I, I don't see a scenario in which it's going to be a, like, what we've reported on the board all spring is that it wasn't, I mean, Tyler Buckner is clearly the better quarterback and even early before like Drew Pine struggled, but it's kind of kicked him later. If you look at the first early reports, it was like, yeah, he's doing some good things. And, and I, I think what happened is, is that you, you look at a situation and it's like, I think the better Tyler played, the more Drew pressed. And there's two advantages to me to ending the competition early. And again, you never end a competition if there's not a clear cut winner and that's to Ryan's point but if it's clear like in the first nine to ten practices of, of fall camp if it's if it's clear by then if not earlier amending it for two reasons one the team needs to have as much time as possible of saying hey we got two great quarterbacks right that's what they'll say they say I've guys said that they say oh good no he's your guy right here's your guy rally around him they'll rally around whoever the starter is but if it's Tyler that's your guy I also think it takes a lot of pressure off of Drew. And because I think the reality is, is I, I think Drew knows that he just doesn't have the ability, the physical ability that Tyler has. And I think he's pressing way too much. Like the Drew Pine we saw in the spring is not the Drew Pine we saw last fall. I think part is because he's pressing. I think Drew Pine can go into a practice against Jack Cohn and say, hey, I can do what that guy can do. Right. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. He can't go into a practice with Tyler Buckner and say, I can do what that guy can do. And I think he pressed. So I think declaring the winner early not only helps Tyler Buckner become the guy, if he is the guy that's out playing Drew Pine, this is the, the premise we're working with. I think it helps Drew. And then I think that helps Drew get in a better place mentally if his number's called. Like Drew getting in a better mental place of, hey, man, here's the deal. Here's who you are. Here's what you need to do. If Tyler does go down, gets hurt, whatever, now Drew's in a much better mental place to be able to say, I got to be me. And I think that's beneficial all around. I, I do. Yep, I do. Timeout Tom says, go through the rosters. The majority of the four and five-star recruits are playing, not the three stars. So the number of three-star player isn't relevant. It's relevant, Tom, because that's what the poster brought up in his comment. I also don't accept your premise of, of what you're saying there. That That's not accurate. And I'll go through the numbers and I'll put it on the message board again. But again, the point that you're missing is some of those three stars were guys like Jeremiah Usukoromoa. I didn't have him as a three star. So is he a th – the premise, that the thing that bothers me, Ryan, also about this discussion is it goes back to the whole thing. People see stars and automatically equate that's what his talent level is. And that's just not – that's not how it is. I'm sorry. It's just not the case. So even though I don't accept the premise of what Tom is saying, and Tom, I appreciate the pushback, but I just don't I don't accept the premise that has not been my evidence. And look, I mean, we've done this, right? We did this this season. 
you know, we 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 put out this year. I'm I'm going to pull it up right now. We we did this article several times. We would do recruiting comparisons between Notre Dame and their opponents. And the reality is, is Notre Dame was not starting fewer guys that were four stars. So here here's here's the evidence. This year, Notre Dame's offense started. It, it, I'm looking at the USC game. Notre Dame's offense started seven four-star players and a five-star. And off the bench, they brought in four-star Tyler Buckner, four-star Chris Tyree, four-star Lorenzo Styles, four-star Deion Colsey. Four, and defensively, they started five four-stars and six three-stars and also played Bo Bauer, Isaiah Pryor, Jordan Patelho. Right? So, and Cam Hart was a three-star player. So you have five four-stars on offense or defense, and you have eight four- and five-stars on defense. Now, my math is not the greatest, but five plus eight equals 13, right, which is over half of the guys that you're starting. And almost all the guys they were bringing off the bench were four-star guys. So right there, that's another example of no – they're not starting more three stars. They're, they're not. And so, again, it just goes to the premise of I think there's this perception that Notre Dame fans have that they were just chucking out a bunch of Matt Le- – I, I say this name because it popped in my head because I was actually watching the 2000 BC Notre Dame game last night because I couldn't sleep. and I, It's what I do. It's weird. Well, like Le- Matt, Matt Levecchio at quarterback, right? Notre Dame's not trotting Matt Levecchio out of quarterback for games this year. I don't know. You know what I mean? Is. I don't yeah, know it's just look at the 2000 season. It was Notre Dame with the Fiesta Bowl with a kid named Matt Levick. And fourth quarter, Notre Dame's winning 28-16, and he's like six of nine for 86 yards. And Julius Jones at running back and had a pretty good great. defense and special teams that year. You know, but that that's not this Notre Dame team anymore. They haven't been this for a few years. I, I've said that 2015 Notre Dame team, in my opinion, was as talented as any team in college football that year at a player level. The problem is they weren't as talented at the coaching level. And that was the bigger issue. But I just, I don't, I don't, I just, we, I keep hearing this, Ryan. And I just think that a lot of Notre Dame fans are unwilling to admit that Notre Dame has not been maximizing their talent in recent seasons. They haven't. Yeah. They haven't. Can I, can I ask Brian, just for a, a mm-hmm. comparison, you do you saw that USC game mm-hmm. up? Mm-hmm. What, um, how many did USC have as far as four stars, five stars, three stars? Seven, seven, four stars on offense. Mm-hmm. In the starting lineup or on uh, on defense, right? Okay. And then they brought in five star Corey Foreman off the bench, but seven four stars on their defense and one, two, three, four, five, six four stars on their offense. Now, when they brought Jackson, when Jackson Dart came in at quarterback, that was one more because Keaton Slowis was a three star player. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So they had the same number of four star players in their starting lineup as Notre Dame did. But, and yet, Notre Dame was a clearly better team than USC. I was, I was about to say, but if we talk about the development aspect of everything, Notre Dame has clearly done more with the talent they had compared right. to a USC. Yeah, so right. that's just curious in that comparison. Right. And I, I mean, I've done this in the past. Now, if you want to compare them to Clemson and Alabama, okay, sure, those teams have more of those guys. But even then, you, you look at those teams, and it's it's not oh, as different as you think it would be. And I've made this point, too. When Ohio State won a championship in 2014, everybody talked about, well, they got all these four and five. Seven of their 11 starters on offense were three-star players. That's crazy. Yeah. 
That was the Zeke year. Those, yeah, Zeke, wild. like yeah. JT Barrett, Cardell Jones, but then like Pat Elfline was a three-star player. Like Devin Spencer yeah. was a, or Devin Smith was a three-star player. Evan Spencer was a three-star player. Like they, they had a lot of three-star players in that offense. And then you look at their defense and they got a five-star middle linebacker, Curtis Grant. And he was a mediocre player that went undrafted. They had a three-star outside linebacker named Darren Lee, who was an elite Second first rounder. pick and first rounder. Yeah. Oh, first rounder. First rounder, right. yeah. yeah. Josh Perry Jer- was the kid that got taken in third. Jer- I think Jerome Baker went in the second round, right? I'm, I'm uh, yeah, he was a speed, little bit later. Speedy Wills. Yeah, speedy he Will was a linebackers. little bit later. Yeah. But Darren Lee was a first round pick. So yeah, by, the, uh, by the Jets, another not yep, great pick. But, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just one of those things. Yeah, it's the number 20 overall pick. That's one of those things. That just because a guy is raked as a star doesn't mean he plays like that. Jeremiah Wusu Koromo was a three-star player. Does anyone think that he played like a three-star player when he was at Notre Dame? Julian Love was a three-star recruit on the 247 composite. He played like an elite five-star player, all right? It's about how they play. But even the premise of it is just – it's not its not accurate. But, I, again, I do appreciate the pushback, Tom, because I think it does allow us to discuss it further and show, show more context. Jules, 602. Buckner can sling the rock, trust me. He's just a dynamo at running back. Running the ball, you tend to forget he was – very good, almost elite accuracy and very good arm strength. Uh, has very good. I don't. I don't know if I'm willing to say that Tyler Buckner has shown me elite accuracy at this point, even in high school. I think it was really good, really good. I don't know if I would call it elite. Like when I think elite ball placement, I think Bryce Young, right? Sure. Like that's elite ball placement. And, and I think Buckner had, was in high school was really good, but I don't know if I would put it on that same level. What are your thoughts on that? I need to see more. I mean, again, from high school, because that's what we've seen. We've only really seen him throw the ball in high school. Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think it was borderline elite in high school. I mean, he was, he was really good. (laughs) He was a really good player in high school. So I'll I'll say it's not quite elite, but it's, it's close. I I would say very, very good is a good context for it. Yeah. Yeah. MGO Irish with that O line last year, there should have been zero expectations that Tyler Buckner or Cohn would excel, especially in the first half of the season. This year, the O line will give him a much better chance to excel. I, I don't. I see. I push back on that because that I think that's drastically underselling the talent that Notre Dame had up front last year. I, I I just I think that there are other things in this in this situation specifically that maybe you can place more blame on and I, I think of obviously coaching and development is like the big thing that you're going to push back on in that situation but I mean if you're going to sit here and say that Blake Fisher Joel I know Joel yeah. obviously didn't start the year out you know but he ends up being a good player for yeah. them down the stretch Andrew Christophic who was a high four-star type of kid really talented player Jared Patterson was there for throughout the majority of the first half of the season. You have guys like Zeke Carell that are mixing in that were, again, four-star recruits, like good football players. I think that that kind of just is set Josh Lug, who I didn't even mention. Like, I think that that you're just really kind of painting a picture that there's just a lack of talent there. So I just push back on that slightly just because I, I I don't think that the the talent up front was, was the hindrance to the development of that offensive line, yeah. obviously. I think if I think MGO, if Irish, if you're going to say looking back retroactively of what we know that line to have been, he's correct that that if we all had foresight as to what that line would be, then, yeah, we should not have expected certain things. But to your point, you're also correct that if it's saying we should not have had expectations for them to be to thrive, I'm going to agree with Ryan. I mean, that line should have been better. It should have been better. It was coached poorly. 
And it's as simple as that. But what it was, based on what it was, no, we should, we, people, and this is, goes to a, a conversation that was happening in the chat before you jumped in, Ryan. There was a lot of, so there's a couple, just, you know, there's some, there's a little, most, I think most Notre Dame fans really appreciate and respect Jack Cohn, but there's some that kind of give him a hard time. And, and I don't think they realize just how bad the line was the first half of the year. I mean, it was terrible. And it's right. amazing that, that he was able to do what he did and, and keep his head above water with how bad it was. But it should have been a lot better. So I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm saying if, if we're going to use sort of hindsight 2020, he's correct. Sure. sure. But if you're going to say that we should have known going into the season that it was going to be that bad, that, that, I don't think that's, that's fair. And if that, and if that was true, then, then they should have found a new coach even sooner than they did. Tyler Bangi says TB is dynamic and presents problems both in the air and on the ground. That's what an offense should do. Create matchup problems for the defense. I'm excited for the year. Yes. hundred percent. Yep. Kenny Moore said this, I, give book the line that code cone played behind and he would have been below average. I, I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily go there. I, I don't, I don't think Ian Book was that great to begin with. But the one thing that I'll say, Kenny, is that's actually when Ian was kind of at his best was when stuff broke down. And you could freelance. Yeah, and he didn't have to think. Like, that's when Ian, I thought, was what had some of his best moments. And so I don't think anyone would have thrived behind that line the way it was first half of the year. I don't think any quarterback would. I think the only quarterback that Notre Dame has had that would have thrived still is Phil Dracovic. And, and and this is the point, the, the thing that I would say is because he was big enough that he could have bounced off some of the things that came his way. He was uh he was such a he's such a great everything's breaking down. You've had to scramble three different directions, throw a 40-yard rope. You, you can't expect anyone else to do that. You know what I mean? Like that's an unfair expectation. And he was he was 6'5, 240 pounds. Ian Book was six foot two oh five. You know what I mean? Like okay. Phil would have been able to hold up against that. Other quarterbacks couldn't. But, I remember that. I remember that play out of structure uh, Phil had against Notre Dame a couple yes. years ago. I remember where he scrambled to his lap. I was like, oh man, oh yeah. man. And then he throws like, is that the one where he threw like the forty yard rope over top of like two defenders for a completion? Yep, that's, that's the one. That's, that's the insane. one. Jules says Tyler Buckner plays with conviction, and that can be coached but not taught. The prima donna coach always wanted a game manager. But Tyler Buckner has the ability to do it all. You know, somebody else made a comment like that that I think I pulled up, and and I think it's a really interesting – Troy McIntosh. Troy said it seems that Brian Kelly was uncomfortable when he had dynamic talents at quarterback. Dane Christ, Everett Golson, Phil Dracovic, Deshaun Kaiser, I'd throw Malik Zaire in there, and Tyler Buckner all had dynamic talent. Oddly, he seemed more comfortable with lesser talented guys. And if you think about the two quarterbacks that Brian Kelly was probably most loyal to in his career were probably Tommy Reese and, and Ian Book. I think that's fair. I think the only other quarterback that, that he had a strange obsession with was Deshaun Kaiser. That's mm-hmm. the other one. But that's because Deshaun was a, a passer first. Right. Deshaun could run, but Deshaun was a passer. That's that's interesting, though, to think about because it's – I mean, because I was just thinking in my mind, like, I guess it's a uh, comfortability with the with how they play. But, I mean, like you just said, though, Ian Book was kind of best when he was outside of structure. Right. But I, see, you know what weird. it was, though, Ryan? Because in yeah. practice, if you'd ever seen Ian Book in practice, you would know exactly why Brian Kelly felt that way. Because in practice, Ian Book was a pick-you-apart machine. I mean, he 
you know, because there weren't consequences, right? And now times of practice, you know, the the nickname that I had for him and some of the practices we'd go to is, you know, Captain Checkdown, you know, but but he would make a decision and get it out. I wish he would have thrown checkdowns that quickly in, in games at times, you know, just get it out to your to your guys. But he was a great practice player. And that's what – and I think Brian Kelly kept wanting that. I also think Brian Kelly liked the notion of winning with a kid that was not that talented and a three-star kid. I think it made him feel like he was superior. I, I, I believe that's all my heart. If, if I'm not saying that you're wrong. If that's yeah. true, though, that is just – Yep. I don't even know the word for it. I don't even know if true. it's a conscious thing with Brian yeah. Kelly. Ugh. You know, it's just, it's just who he is. This is who he is. Here we go. Lucas Chapman. It's a great observation. Every team we play this upcoming season is going to need to spy on Tyler Buckner, and that automatically create, creates mismatches. And if they don't, then he's going to he's going to hurt them if he plays his game. You know. Yep. Don't disagree. Lucas also says Notre Dame is still deadly, if not more, with Tyler Buckner's quarterback. It's easy to game plan for Cone. How do you defend a guy like Tyler Buckner? I I wouldn't. I don't think that's fair. I think it's easy to game plan for Jack Cohn if he doesn't have talent around him. But I think Jack Cohn, when when he the line finally did anything for him, was pretty good. I mean, the line mm-hmm. did a decent job against Florida State, at least pass pro. They didn't couldn't run the ball for crap, and he looked great. You know, and, and then late in the year when when Jack was finally given time, he, he looked pretty great. You know, Oklahoma State game plan for Jack Cohn, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't stop him. He made one terrible throw that game that was all on him, but it wasn't an Oklahoma State game plan for him. So, I get what you're saying, and I don't, I don't disagree with the whole how difficult it is to defend a guy like Tyler Bucker if he is the player we think. But I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, well, and that's a little bit unfair of a criticism of Jack Cohn. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your premise. I will also say that, I mean, I think what Lucas is trying to say is that it's much more difficult to game it plan against a guy that is dynamic and a dual threat like a yep. Tyler Buckner is, and I agree with yep. that aspect of it. Here's an interesting comp, Ryan. I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, oh, no. Folklore, Colt McCoy equals Tyler Buckner. See, I, I just think Tyler Buckner is a better athlete than Colt McCoy. Like, Colt, I, I mean, just more physically gifted, I should say. Like, he has a stronger arm, too. Colt McCoy mm-hmm. was such a tough dude. And he was a really accurate player. And he was, I mean, the the rushing numbers he had, because I think he actually had okay rushing numbers for mm-hmm. a couple of his years. Mm-hmm. He was more of a win because I'm tough and I'm kind of slippery as a runner, right? Like mm-hmm. he wasn't a dynamic player where he's breaking off huge explosive runs. Like Tyler Buckner can do those types of things. So I get it where you're coming from because the right. size is sort of similar because they're both like 6'1", 215-ish type of dude. Mm-hmm. So like, but even I think there that Tyler Buckner is more thick than Colt McCoy ever was, right? So yep. I, I, I think that stylistically I get where it's going, but I just think that Tyler Buckner is a better athlete overall, just a better talent in general. Colt McCoy as a in 7, 07, 08, and 09 rushed for 492, 561, and 348. Yep. So you're, you're right. See, I, you, know where, you know where I think the, where I think people get that comp? I think there's two things that cause people to make that comp. Number one is, and I think they're both complementary. Number one is similar builds, although I think Tyler's thicker sure. than Colt was. I think the other thing, too, is Colt was just a playmaker. Sure was. Like, that physical skill set is different. You you nailed the differences in physicality. But Colt just had that it to him in college. And if Tyler Buckner has that, 
then yeah, Notre Dame is going to be really good the next few years because <laughs> that's the thing. You know, he just he could run around, he could scramble like he wasn't sexy. You know, you're like, oh, how's this kid making these many plays? And he just would run and he would throw and he would do all these different things. And he wasn't a he wasn't a runner the way that Tyler Buckner can be. But I think there's a perception that he was a runner because he would always make a big play with his legs when it was needed. So if you were only watched him on highlights on SportsCenter, you'd see him making these plays with his legs. Now what yeah. you didn't know is those are the only two runs he had all game. But it just, but they were money. They were clutch. Big, big moments. Yeah, yes. Right. And that's what right. I loved about Colt McCoy. He was one of the least, him and Danny Warfel were probably the two least talented, great college quarterbacks I've seen in my life. Right. Like just winners, just great. Colt was a great college player, mediocre talent when you compare it to other top players. Kid's just a winner. He's just a winner. He was, and I loved watching that kid play. And that's why, Ryan, I will take this to my grave. He'll probably disagree with me. Maybe not. If Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt in the national championship game in 09, Alabama loses to Texas. I, I mean, Garrett Gilbert kept him, kept him in the game after that, right? They Garrett were up Gilbert six nothing when good. Colt went out. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and even with, yeah. Right. And Alabama, I mean, like to your point, Alabama pulled that game away late. Yes. I mean, it, 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 like to your point about that, the final score was, was not close. Mm-hmm. I think it was, um, I'm trying to look it up here. Give me a second. I'm pulling it up. The final score was 37 mm-hmm. 21. It was a closer game than that. Yes. Uh, they were up, uh, Alabama or uh, see, Alabama went up 24 6, right? In the second quarter. It was 6 nothing when he went out. And they went up 24 6. And then Texas tr- came back. And once, you know, again, they went into halftime. They were able to kind of make some adjustments with cold out. They scored in the third quarter, scored first in the fourth quarter, went for two, got it, and it was 24-21. Alabama didn't score again until there was two minutes left in the game, and then they put on two touchdowns at the end of the game. So he was able to get them back in the game, and then one of Alabama's touchdowns was a, a, a pick six with three. If you remember that? It was 17-6, to six, and they tried to throw the ball with Garrett Gilbert at the end of the half, and, and it got picked off by Marcel Darius in return for a touchdown. Oh, I forgot about Marshall yeah. Darius. So, player. Like, he, and he, he was the one that knocked Colt out of the game, too. Yeah, correct. Yep. And it was yep. such a dumb play call. Yeah. But to your point, I mean, Texas was moving the ball on, on Alabama until yeah. Colt got hurt. Absolutely. And, you know, that's just that's just the reality of it. So, anyway, I love Colt McCoy. So, if if Tyler has Colt's intangibles, he's going to be a star. Well, that's what opinion. I was – that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Was my favorite thing about Colt McCoy is I remember his Colt. So Colt has a great redshirt freshman year, and then his redshirt sophomore year, he threw a lot of interceptions. I think he yep. threw like eighteen interceptions. Yep. And he came back like nothing ever happened the yeah. next year. You know, he was in a quarterback battle. I think was it David Ash? Maybe I forget. I forget yeah. who the quarterback was yeah. back then. Who had he was like in a, concussion problems? Yeah. Yeah, he was literally in a quarterback battle, and people were like, "Oh, he's going to lose his job," type of thing. And he came back, and he had one of the better two year stretches that I've ever seen a quarterback have mm-hmm. on the college level. So, yeah, yep. mental toughness was the biggest thing yeah. McCoy. 29 and 7. He was 29 touchdowns and seven and seven interceptions in his first year as a starter with a 161 quarterback, 8.8 quarterback rating, which is very, very good. And then the next year he comes out and he throws for over 3,000 yards, but he throws 18 interceptions and 22 touchdowns. Then to your point, the next year he comes out, completes 76.7% of his throws <laughs> for over 300 yards, 34 touchdowns, 8 picks, a 173.8 quarterback rating. Which is insane. Is that I mean, completion percentage good? Is that a so good it's it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's decent. It's decent. You know, I mean that that's insane. That's an insane number. I mean, you know, 
Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely nuts. And and Can back I, then the Big Twelve was really good. Back then it, like, was. it was a really good conference. So you know, he, now they weren't good on defense, but it was it was a competitive competitive league. You know what I I loved back then was you had Colt McCoy to Jordan Shipley, which was like an awesome one-two combination. Yeah. And then a few years later, they tried to make a Case McCoy to Jackson Shipley. Remember that? <laughs> Didn't work out quite. That's as well when it that was time. like, okay, it's time for Mac to go up into the press box or into the the, the television booth because no, no. Well, remember um, Virginia Tech tried to do that with Marcus Vick. They tried oh, to yeah. they tried to bring back the Michael Vick era with his brother Marcus, who wasn't half the player or half the person that Michael was, which is saying a lot. Timeout, Tom. All Buckner needs to do is one ten yard runner in the game to open up the passing game. I I think there's merit to that. I mean, I don't I don't think he needs to like have seventy five yards in the first half to make teams defend him. I I think they've seen enough of that on film. If he goes out there and, and rips off one good run early, it's like uh oh, you know, it gets in your head, and that's how you have a situation like against Georgia against uh. Toledo, where you know he's going to run, he takes off. It looks like he's going to run. Corner comes flying up, throws it right over their head to Chris Tyree for a fifty-five yard touchdown. But I think that's the thing too, Ryan. Is is what I don't think is is uh, is appreciated enough. It's definitely. I think Notre Dame fans get this for the most part. What people do not understand nationally about Notre Dame, it's what Oklahoma State didn't understand. Is Oklahoma State, who had an elite top ten defense last year thought that they could go one-on-one with Notre Dame's receivers and weren't worried about Chris Tyree out of the backfield at all. And then they realized, hey, we can't cover. We can't cover Kevin Austin. We can't cover uh, – we can't cover uh, Lorenzo Styles because they were trying to keep – they were trying to stop the run and, and stop Michael Mayer. That's what their game plan was. Yep. And then they said, okay, we can't run with these guys, so let's beat them up at the line, and that's where they had the success in the second half. But – I don't think a lot of people recognize nationally how much speed Notre Dame has on offense. And that's the dangerous combination for Notre Dame against teams is if you have to defend a guy like Kyle Hamilton or against, against like Tyler Buckner, you only have to be off one step, two steps against some of these skill players of peaking at, at, at Tyler and you're in trouble. If you get caught peaking for two second, uh, second, and you're trying to cover Braden Lindsey or Lorenzo Styles or Chris Tyree on the backfield or Jadarian Price on the backfield or Michael Mayer, you're done. You're going to get gashed. And I think that's where Tom has a, a really good point. And as soon as you get gashed, then you start overcompensating against the pass, and then that's when Tyler Buckner gets a step on you and he's out of there. Right. Or a running back. That's when you drop eight on the third and ten, and Tyler takes off running and <laughs> converts the chains with his feet. <laughs> so frustrating. So frustrating as a defensive player. <laughs> yep. John A1, does Notre Dame have enough deep? And this kind of ties in. Does Notre Dame have enough deep, have a deep enough receiver core to force defenses, defenses to spread out? It feels like Notre Dame needs three receivers to make a jump to be able to make it doable for a new quarterback. I don't think the depth is the problem. Depth, depth is about can you make it through a year? It, look, they they have plenty of guys that can make you force you to spread out. Yes, definitely, and part of that's just schematic, John. I mean, Avery Davis doesn't have to be a great player for you to have to spread them out. If they formationally go out wide and you try to go one on one with those guys, there's enough damage there that can be done to put them in a in a big problem, in my opinion. So, yes, I believe that they do. Yeah, and and you have to you have to include Michael Mayer. I know he's not a true wide receiver, but you have to include that in the conversation too. He's a tough cover in his own right, so he can be a part of it. And they move him out. Set. Yes. Exactly. And they don't just yep. attach him. Right. Yeah. I mean, Here's a go good three, one. Sorry, God. 
That's right. Here's a good one, Ryan. Blaine Tiller says better defense this year: Clemson, USC, BC, or USC. I think he meant Ohio State. Oh, so let's Clemson. take Clemson out of the conversation because they are by far the best defense Notre Dame is going to face this year, by yep. far. Let's make it Ohio State, BC, and USC. I think that's where he was he was trying to go with this one. Um, how would you rank those defenses? I'd still so go tough. with Ohio State first just because they have better players than those other teams. And I'd put yeah. USC at last, uh, probably. Uh, of, uh, of those three teams, I'd put USC fifth on defense. <laughs> that bad, huh? That's a yep. clear yep. tear break. Yep. Mm-hmm. Clear tear yep. break. Yep. I'm, yep. Yeah, I was re- I was wrestling whether I wanted to put Boston College number one or Ohio State number one. Like that was yeah. kind of the thought. My, my USC wasn't even in the comparison. Ohio State's w- or Boston College is way better coached. Way yes. better coach. They just don't have really – they don't have players on defense from what I can see. They just don't have great talent. Mm-hmm. Those kids play hard, and they're extremely well coached. They just don't have, they don't have players. And that was yeah. the problem they had two years ago. They were really well coached two years ago too, and they just couldn't stop Notre Dame because Notre Dame has way better players. And that's the yeah. issue. So, well, like, if I'm going to take it – if I'm going to be more concerned, I'm going to be more concerned about the team that, you know, is this the game that Zach Harrison goes off, you know, is this the game that JT whatever goes off? Is this the game Jack Sawyer breaks out? Right, like I, that's why I get a little bit more concerned about a team like Ohio State because they do have talent. They don't have the talent that they used to have. They do have talent. Where BC is incredibly well coached. It's just Notre Dame's at a point now where I just don't get worried about well coached teams that don't have good players anymore. Just game may be closer than you think, but you're still not going to win. I get nervous about the talented team that puts it all together for one game. That's that's where I get nervous. I don't know if you agree that's or disagree fair. with that. No, no, I, I don't disagree. That's why I was kind of wrestling with that conversation. USC is going to be a weird team. I just I don't know what to expect from them defensively because I mean they have the Shane Lee kid transferred from Alabama. He's played some football at linebacker. I don't know how like you know he he played as a freshman when Dylan Moses got hurt. So like we'll see what he does transferring over there. Corey Foreman was a high five-star type of kid. Maybe he takes a step. Like, there's a couple of names to keep an eye on, but, like, I just – is Alex Grinch their defensive coordinator? Did he come over with o- yeah. from Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't like that, man. That's that's organized not, chaos, and I'm, I'm not, not a fan a, of it. I'm not a big fan of what he's done, to be completely honest with you. His best job he ever did was at Washington State, still. Still. Yeah, and they were just using undersized defensive linemen and just one-gapping and just mm-hmm. giving weird blitz looks. And it's just not technically sound defense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And I don't think Lincoln Riley's ever shown any thought that, hey, we have to be good on defense. And here's the thing about how here, – here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to show this, Ryan, because I'm like, okay, did the Broncos do nothing but draft Oklahoma defensive players? Oh, like, no. uh, I was looking, I'm like, Oklahoma had a lot of dudes get drafted this year from their defense. They had a second-round pick at linebacker, a third-round pick at linebacker, a fourth-round pick at the defensive tackle, a fifth-round pick at defensive back, and a seventh-round pick at defensive line, and their defense sucked. And their defensive lineman, who was the best player on their team, Isaiah Thomas, was the seventh-round pick. It didn't make any sense. It was very weird. That was a team that gave up 25.8 points per game last year. They had three defensive linemen get picked last year. All had two over 10 tackles for loss, and, and they still gave up a ton of points and yards. And that's a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm just not overly impressed, impressed with Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. You had five NFL draft picks on your defense, and your defense sucked. Yep. So I'm here's the deal. He's going to go to USC and be like, dude, our guys are not as good as what I just had at Oklahoma on defense. That's a fact. That's a fact. The talent level top to bottom at USC this year is not going to be as good as it was at Oklahoma when he left it. 
it's not. It's just, it's not. So, and arguably the best coach he had stayed at Oklahoma. Bill Bedenball, the offensive line coach. All right. That's where he's going to have a real big wake-up call. He's like, wow, I've had some pretty good offensive lines the last six or seven years, and these guys suck. Uh, Tyler Bangy Ryan, I asked a question regarding college O-linemen and the perception that they are not technically ready for the NFL because of spread offenses. You said you would like to discuss that further. So why is that perception there? Um, I mean, I think that that's an individual by individual basis. I, like, like, not every not every college runs the same offense. So there are teams like I can tell you if you're getting an offensive lineman from Iowa traditionally or Notre Dame traditionally, you're going to expect a pretty good pretty good floor as far as being technically sound early on in his career. Like I, I, I guarantee the Tampa Bay saw Robert Hainsey the first day and was like, Oh, cool. We don't have right. to push that envelope as far too far. Right. But I, I think that there are always going to be, I mean, my biggest quarrel with, with projecting players is when they're coming from an air raid system right. in college, where we're talking about the Andre Dillards of the world. We're talking about Abraham Lucas that just came out of Washington state just because they're, they're not even, Traditionally speaking, with the get with the with the splits that they play with as well, they're not taking a traditional pass set. Like you can call it a, a bastardized forty-five degree set if you want to, but even then, it's not a traditional pass set. Because so even because I think people have this perception that these guys come out of this passing offense and they're like, oh man, they're ready-made pass protectors. That's not always true. It's not because they they just don't understand angles properly in a traditional vertical set or a real forty-five degree set because of those splits they have. They basically create angles with those splits, which is is fine. And then in the mm-hmm. run game, they just are so so underutilized in the run game. I mean, like they they think a draw is a is a run play, a traditional run play. Like it's 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 bad. So man. your so, your issue is more of of air raids, not spreads. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. I think that there's there's spread teams that coach offensive line well. Like Notre Dame is a, is kind of a pro style spread, and traditionally, right. you know, they can. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think as long as you're doing things that are applicable for the next level, I've seen a lot more hiccups for projecting guys that play in a majority of an air raid type of system comparative to a spread offense. I think the yes. spreads are more damaging to quarterbacks, the college spread again, because you have to, we have to define what a spread is, right. And right. That, that term has become, so it means several different things. It's loose. Like, Clemson's offense has been a spread offense in a traditional sense. It's a college spread offense. Notre Dame's offense was spread by formation, but not by scheme or style of play. It was a spread offense from an alignment standpoint, a lot of times, but it was not a spread offense from the standpoint of that's why we say pro style spread. It's, it's lots of reads, lots of calls. Lincoln Riley's offense is an air raid and his air raid is different from what Washington state has done with Mike Leach and it's different, even though he's a disciple of Mike Leach, it's a different offense. He runs the ball a lot more. And both of those air raids are different than Phil Longo's air raid at North Carolina. They're just they're It's kind of like the West coast. I think the the thing about air raids is I think it hurts quarterbacks more than linemen. If, if you have a good offensive line coach that understands the importance of technique and teaches technique, an NFL coach may look at a guy from North Carolina and say, hey, he doesn't teach what we teach, but that kid's really fundamentally sound at what they teach. That means I know I can get him in my place and we can adjust and make some technique changes, but he's going to be fundamentally sound for me. Sure. I think it's more of a, I think it's more of that. Where I think it hurts, the reason I think it hurts quarterbacks, Ryan, and you and I have talked about this, air raids are very simplistic reads. It's 
you have one, maybe two post-snap reads in a lot of instances. You do some decent stuff pre-snap, but in, you just it's those guys have to make such a leap from how they read an offense, a defense in college, to how they have to read a defense in, in, in the pros. And that's a big, and that's also partly why I was surprised that Jack Cohn wasn't picked because I know a lot of NFL teams that have a lot of respect for what Wisconsin quarterbacks have to do from a read the defense standpoint. So I've seen so many of their mediocre quarterbacks have long NFL careers, right? And Paul Christ was the coordinator for a lot of those, right? <laughs> and it's why, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about, you know, about what NFL teams think of Tom Reese. So it, it really, that's one of the reasons I thought Jack Cohn would get picked. But I think the quarterback position and receiver, receiver has really hurt, uh, uh, the air rate has really hurt a lot of receivers. It, it has. And because it's, it's caused guys to get overdrafted like Corey Coleman because of their success in production, but they end up not being as good in the pros because some of those, routes. yes. And, and they play one side of the field. They only know one stance. It's like playing left tackle, right tackle. You can't do that at receiver in the NFL. So I think it's hurt. I think it's hurt those two positions more than offensive one. I think that, I don't think those offenses inherently make it harder for linemen to translate as much as it does the skill players in my, yeah. that's just, that's just my two cents. No, no, I, I think that's a great point. I even think back to Deami Brown that came out of North Carolina last year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of him. And then late I was kind of like, okay, but I see better hip sync than maybe right. is there. And he runs, he's obviously on the left side of that Longo offense. So he's running vertical stem slants. That's all he's running and mm-hmm. a screen, like a look screens at some points too. Like that's all he does in that offense. That's where that, that's where the NFL draft gets a little, dicey and the line gets blurred a little bit because you have to project those types of things you have to look at a hit flexibility and hit fluidity and say like he can do more than that offense asked him to do but that can catch some problems sometimes like you said the Corey coleman's of the world who's that other big wide receiver that came out of there a couple years ago that people lost their minds over and it was just like you're but he's running two routes i can't remember who it was you talking about baylor baylor yeah yeah, I mean they've had they had who's the kid that they ha- they've had had one receiver that's been successful. Oh, I was thinking about Antoine Goodley. That's why. Yeah, thinking. Denzel Antoine Mims Goodley. is who you're thinking of, right? Yeah, they had him. He he put up yeah. numbers. Uh, he had two thousand yard seasons. KD Cannon was another one. Oh, that had, I forgot, had I forgot about KD yeah. Cannon. Yeah, Great Corey game. Coleman had crazy numbers. Need a new Jack in the NFL because he knew how to run routes. Right. So yeah, it, it's 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 been a problem, and and I still like Denzel Mims. I I just think again, but the problem is you you go to the wrong place, and they're not going to waste time coaching you up, right? You got to go somewhere that that they're willing to coach you up. And that's I mean, like you said though, he was he was overdrafted. He's never been drafted right. in the second round like he right. was. He's just overdrafted. Yeah. Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Got some few more questions here that we'll get to. They call me Gravy. Hey, guys, newer, but I signed up for the board and the 24-7 board at the same time, and I can tell you for a fact that the IB staff kills the other sites. Thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. You see, he's got that Godzilla thing in his avatar too. I, I'm, I'm digging that. I'm digging that. I, I, I'm one of the. I don't know if a lot of people feel. I liked the new Godzilla movies, by the way, much more than some of the older ones, which were. Lame. I haven't seen them. They ruined. Yeah. It. They ruined it for me. The old ones. You, the newer ones are really good. Really good. There's three of them. There's uh, the original Godzilla where he fought. Uh, I can't remember the name of them, but then then they had the second one. Where he uh, the gods the king of the monsters where he fought the three headed one, and yeah. then the most recent was uh, was him uh, Godzilla vs Kong, which was really really cool. So they, they Godzilla's not the bad guy like he was in the older ones, which is a very interesting take. I thought very see, well done. See, I nerd out on Star Wars. You nerd out on Godzilla. I'm not nerding out. Like I'm not like saying, "May Godzilla be with you today." You know, I'm not doing all that. It's a good movie. Oh, there should be Godzilla Day. That'd be fantastic. Rob Osgood, different recruiting question. If you were the Notre Dame recruiting coordinator, what new event would you come up with for recruiting? Um, I think we we, we had one similar to this before. Mm-hmm. What would I do that's different? Like oh, what so kind tough. of event? Like you know, they've got the the Irish invasion and then, you know, like Michigan has their barbecue, that kind of thing. I, I would try to make something for me. I would try to make some kind of, some kind of deal around the spring game, which I think they kind of started to do this year. That's what I thought that uh, is where you really try to get families in with the players, you know, try to get them in, try to get them around alums like that. Literally what they did for the spring game is what I've always felt they should do, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a family thing. You bring your parents and you have a big dinner. You've got alums coming in and all this kind of stuff. And they did it. I yeah. uh, look, I, I, I think, it's not so much what you do; it's how you sell yourself when you do it. For me, is well, really I lo- the key. I love getting alums involved in any way they can. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's especially when you're at a place like Notre Dame. Exactly. Exactly. You I know? mean, you walk around and it's you know if you get some of the former NFL players that are now just excelling in the real world mm-hmm. too. I mean, I just heard an interview that I think the inside the garage guys did with Justin Tuck, where he was talking mm-hmm. like he went from right to NFL into like wall street now. Right? right. It's just like, that's the guy you want around campus. You right. Know? Like Todd light. Like who's that. made probably as much money, if not more in business ventures after his NFL career than he did during his NFL career. Jerome Bettis exactly. is back in college getting his degree. I mean, you see these, these elite players that put a premium on doing it the right way. And, the success that they can have. Justin Tuck is going to be very, very successful in life, even though his football career ended when he was in his thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, most guys aren't Tom Brady and they play into their forties. Right. I mean, like Andrew Whitworth is considered super old for an offensive lineman. What's he like? 37. Well, now he, like he, hit, he hit 40. Did he hit 40 this 40. year? Okay. Yeah. Hey, when was the last time that happened? It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, it never happened in the playoffs. I don't think he was the oldest offense lineman ever. I think in yeah. the playoffs, yeah, so. it's a little nuts. It's a little nuts. All right, got some more questions here. Uh, here's one. Nothing personal. He said since Jerkovic has come up uh, here already, I wonder if you guys knew anything about why he transferred. I assumed it was for playing time, but it seems like he should have won the job if he was good enough. I don't really care to get into that on the message board. It's not. I mean, on the show, it's uh, it's a, it's just a longer story. Some of the stuff I don't really want out publicly. But I did put something on the message board the other day about this. 
So if you're on the message board, you can check it out. But uh, I can assure you with 100% certainty that Phil Dracovic's decision to transfer had nothing to do with playing time. So, um, and you can't win a job if you're not given the opportunity to win a job. So, Michael Parks, Tom Reese, offensive uh, OC, offensive line wizard, Harry Heestan, young Jedi, Stucky at wide receiver, Han Solo, running back coach, McCullough, oh yeah, plus uh, Baca, Michael Mayer. That sounds like 40 <laughs> plus points. Somebody was really fired up about the May the 4th be with you earlier. Um, my wife did that to me. So I explained to her like Cinco de Mayo, and I was like, yeah, and yesterday was, you know, you know and she just looked at me, she goes, May the fourth be with you. Like she was trying to do some like Jedi mind trick on me. I was like, okay, I'm walking out of the room right now. <laughs> Michael, Michael, respect. I love yeah. that comment. I yeah. love that. I, yeah, wa- I watched Star Wars yesterday. I watched Return of the Jedi yesterday. So, <laughs> Lucas Chapman, regarding the earlier question from Rob Mosca, Lucas says, I would do exactly what the recruiting coordinator is doing now. That's why it was so tough to answer, Lucas. Yeah. It was so tough because I'm like, man. Uh, two years ago, this answer would have been a lot easier. We would have had a right. lot of ideas popping, right? Um, what would I do to improve upon their number one ranked class? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see here. Exactly. Um, I mean, that should yeah. have been my answer. I want to do anything that Chad Bowden's doing right. right now. That's my answer. Yeah. I may have something where I bring in some uh, really wealthy donors and really, really wealthy people to explain during a recruiting visit about that type of thing without it being like an illegal haze where you offer. Hey, look, here's guys explaining these kids. Hey, you can take this money now, but like, here's what I think. I've had several businessmen that are associated with Notre Dame. It's like, boy, we could just explain to kids, you know, that, that yeah, $2 million now may be big, but here's how we can make you 20. You know what I mean? And it's hard for Marcus Freeman and them can't really do that. It's not legal for them to explain that in the way that the businessmen can, you know, so I, I don't know if it's, it's not so much NIL. I, I don't know how you could format that to where it'd be legal. That's why I didn't want to bring it up, but there's gotta be some way that you connect them with these guys to explain to them. Like, here's, here's the advantages that, that come with you. Michael Moore says, I think Tobias Merriweather is by far the most important freshman this year, as far as need. Who would you pick? Who would you and Ryan pick? So I'll give you first crack at that, Ryan. What freshman? Let's go offense. Let's just go freshman at all. What freshman is the most is most important this year? I'm going to be honest with you. I have a hard time going against what Michael said. Yeah, no, that that's why it's tough because I, I think Tobias is the guy, especially if there's any more injuries at wide receiver. Like the depth is going to. I mean, that would just be massive from a depth perspective. So I agree with you. The only other position I was thinking about is maybe a corner, maybe one. Yeah, of the I was thinking, I was thinking about Benjamin Morrison or Jaden Mickey. Yeah. That's it's, the only other yeah. position that popped in my head, honestly, like Mickey yeah. obviously got the jump start with being in for the spring, but maybe Morrison comes and he's just too good not to play, you know, right. in the fall. Right. That's something I was thinking of, but again, I, I don't think that's a need as much as a, I think they need to get better there. I think receiver, I think that like if one guy goes hurt, gets hurt, two guys get hurt, you're in trouble. A couple guys get hurt at corner. You still got some other kids that can play. Sure. So, but yeah, I think those are the two I think of. Like uh, Tyson Ford and Aiden Govier are very talented players. They don't need them to play this year. Notre Dame signed. Yeah, go ahead. Punter McPherson. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> just go. by just by the result that he's yeah, the one. There right? you go. I'm gonna go ahead and say no to that one, but uh, I still think they should ban kickers and punters. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think here. Like linebackers, 
Notre Dame signed the best linebacker class in the country, in my opinion. They don't need them to play this year. If they beat people out, great. They don't need them to play. O-line class, they don't need them to play. Jadarian Price could have a breakout year, but they don't need him to have a breakout year, at least as of right now. <laughs> if one more guy goes down, that conversation is going to change quickly. <laughs> but as of right now, I, I think they're good. I think they're good there. Now, that doesn't mean he won't play. He could beat somebody out. It's just it's not needed. They need Tobias Merriweather to play. Kirk Swint. I hope I'm saying that right, Kirk. With a super chat, it's way too early. It's way early, but initial thoughts on if Notre Dame's that a, that if Notre Dame that's a better chance at a championship with Tyler Buckner in 2022 or 2023. I mean, I'd say I just say like the the logical answer I think would be that when that Tyler Buckner as a junior compared to the sophomore is going to be a better player, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty easy to understand. The offensive tackles as juniors compared to sophomores this year are going to be better players. And we've talked so much about how paramount this sophomore class is. I mean, for the future success of Notre Dame, I mean, across the board from Lorenzo Styles to the offensive tackles to, you know, just the quarterback. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. such an important class to the Aldrich Estime and Logan Diggs to there's just so many players that it is paramount for that, for that class to be very good football players and to be that, that maybe that class that, takes you to a championship like that to lead the way mm-hmm. as more depth comes in. So I'd say 2023 makes more sense, but I don't think it discounts the ability for them to compete for a championship in 2022. Like it's not an excuse to say 2023 is our year, but in, in just that's week, with- that's, that's NDPTSD. That goes back, back way right. past Brian Kelly. It's, it's, ne- it's the year after it helps right. you prepare to be let down this year. Cause it's the next year. Right. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate with you, Ryan here. Number one is we went through this thing and seven of the last 12 championship winners were first year starters at quarterback. And I think part of the thing that helps is, is when you're going through your first year as a starter, there's not a lot of film on you. Ohio state is going to have a lot more film on Tyler Buckner, September 23rd of 2023 than they are on September 3rd of 2022. I think Ohio State awful also is going to have a pretty talented team. I think you look at Clemson, you got to play at Clemson later in the year, November 4th. I think that could be an even tougher matchup than playing Ohio State in the opener. The other part is, is yes, you're going to have Blake Fisher is going to be a junior. Joe Walt's going to be a junior. You talked about that sophomore class. You're, in my opinion, if things go the way they think, they're going to be bringing in one of the two to three best classes in the country as freshmen in 2023. But you're also going to lose Jared Patterson. You're not going to have Michael Mayer. You're going to have Isaiah Foskey. You're not going to have the Addy Mules. You may not have Brandon Joseph. You may not have Cam Hart. And so I always, that's why I say, I don't, I don't, I think Notre Dame's best opportunity to win a championship is the next one, the upcoming opportunity. And so I, I don't want to get into the whole, well, this is the year we're okay with them dropping a couple games because next year, you keep playing that next year game and you're going to keep finding yourself having reasons for why you're not as good. They don't win it 2023. Eh, it's because we were young, right? I mean, we were young. We had a great freshman class. No, it's 2024. That's the, the year now, right? And it's like, okay, well, in 2024, you got to play at Texas A&M. You know, you, gotta, you know what I mean? You got to play Miami. You got to play at USC. That's going to be year three. You got Florida State at home. They're going to be better. I mean, you, we could play this game all day long, right? 2022 is the year. This is the next year that Notre Dame needs to focus on for winning a championship. And, and so I think, I think that's, that's my thing. And so I think 
10 years ago, my answer might've been different because I used to value experience at quarterback a little bit more than, than I do now because of the way that the game is played. But I want to focus on 2022. I, I think this team has a chance. I think there's some other teams around the country that are beatable for this Notre Dame team. I think this Notre Dame team matches up well with some of those teams. I think you look at Georgia. The one thing, man, they got 15 guys drafted. Hey, look what happened to LSU when they lost 14 dudes and some coaches the next year, right? Now, I don't think they're going to fall as far as as uh, as uh, LSU did, but you're not going to be the same team. And let's be honest, as I said before, they in their last three games, Georgia got their butts kicked by, by Alabama and should have lost the second time if not for Alabama missing. By the time you got the halftime, Bama was down like six starters. Because Josh Job was out. You had one of your linebackers, I think, was out, or maybe it was the safety was out. You had both your receivers were out. I mean, it was a mess. And so, and, and you still, Bama had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to go win it. So, I mean, uh, you know, I just I feel like this is a, a good chance for for Notre Dame, in my opinion, to to make a run. So it's just where I'm at. Uh Ed. At with a super chat, thank you, or super sticker. Thank you very, 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 very much for that. Got a couple of questions here to wrap up about quarterback Ryan. Here's a good one from Jared Underhill. It says, is Buckner's arm weaker, similar, or stronger than Jack Cohn? Not from an accurate standpoint, just simply strength. Stronger, in my opinion. I would, I would agree. I would agree. How about Ian Book? There's, they're more similar. They're, they're kind of similar. I think Ian Book had a little bit of a stronger arm. At least on, especially deep balls. I think balls, I think Ian Book had a lot stronger arm than people realize. I don't think arm strength was ever Ian Book's problem. At least not his last couple of years. It, it was it was other things. You can't show arm strength when you don't throw it. Ian Johnston, how would you compare Bryce Young's athleticism to Dante Moore? You want me to start this one? Yeah. I'd, recruiting I'd question, say, man. You're the recruiting question. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> I actually think that Dante is a little more straight line fast than Bryce Young. I don't know if this is like a hot take, but I think he's a little more straight line fat, fast. I think Bryce might be a little bouncier, a little quicker, right? Like I think he may change his direction a little better, but I think I think Dante's a little more straight line fast, I would mm-hmm. say. I think Dante's the better athlete. Uh I don't think Bryce Young is super athletic. He's a decent athlete, but he's not. Is he is he sneaky athletic, Brian? Is he no. Sneaky athletic? no, there's <laughs> nothing sneaky about it. Um, I a part of me wonders too if Bryce is gonna improve his pocket footwork this year now that he's got a year under his belt. Same with CJ Stroud. Like CJ Stroud's a good athlete. He's not athletic on the football field. So, yeah. I mean, you know, like you can see instances where like, okay, yeah, there's some athleticism there. But he doesn't play athletic, in my opinion. Now, is that because of factors that can be coached? You know, his footwork, his timing, whatever. Or is it just he's just not that guy on the football field? Or he gets timid. I've heard people say he gets rattled by pressure. Like, well, I don't know if that's just – if it's that or just he's inexperienced and inexperienced guys tend to act differently than experienced guys who've seen certain things before. I also wonder if – one of the things that I think hurts Ohio State quarterbacks too is they don't get challenged a whole lot. I think that hurts them because the league sucks. I mean, the Big Ten is down in regards to the kind of athleticism Ohio State has. And he's been – they're surrounded by so many good players at receiver and, and running back in the offensive line. It's just absurd. So um, I'm wondering. It's a, it's a very good question. Very, very good it question. Is. It is. 
Okay. And this uh, Zach, uh, Zachary Whitfield, you've been a good guy in our chat so far, but uh, today you're being a little bit, um, yeah. So we'll put you in a little bit of a timeout here. <laughs> Bob Bordenaro says, been saying next year for years now, enough already. And that's kind of, I think Bob kind of encapsulates what I'm saying, Ryan. It's like, Enough with uh no 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 not this year that's next year we've been hearing that from Brian Kelly's people for years and I'm tired of it I want to focus on no we're gonna go out and try to win it this year now we're not gonna wait till we don't know what next year's gonna bring we're gonna try to win it this year I don't know if I'll have all the coaches I have now next year I don't know if I have the certain players and all that I want to go out and win it now that's mm-hmm. where that's where I'm that's where I'm at on this whole thing yeah no, I, I agree I, again it's. It's tough, though, from the fan perspective to get past this little P- what you call it, BK PTSD. Yeah, because yeah. it's got you got to prove that it's you got to prove that it's a thing of the past on the field. Like BK's not here sure. anymore, yeah. but is the is there still going to be enough of his culture around to drag some other? You know what I mean? Or or it, it was it never about BK? It was actually about Notre Dame. I mean that that's that's true. That's potent- I mean that's not true. That's possible. I sure. could be completely wrong. BK could have gotten the most out of the program. And I was wrong. I don't think I am, but it's possible. And it's going to be possible until somebody proves otherwise. Now, Marcus Freeman is showing that the Brian Kelly's recruiting efforts were total junk. Like the excuses were total BS. Because he's doing this in the NIL era. Imagine what he could do if there was no NIL. You know, like three years ago, Cardinal Tate is committed to Notre Dame. Right. There's Because there's no NIL. The under-the-table stuff wouldn't have been enough to convince him to go away from Notre Dame. The NIL stuff is way, is, is huge, right? So he's still doing this in the NIL era. Brian Kelly wasn't even recruiting in a non-NIL era. So it, it just those excuses were BS. But maybe the coaching part is better than I give him credit for. That's what I think is possible. And, and so that's where I, I say um, – that's where I kind of say, okay – Marcus Freeman's got to prove that first before I'm ready to go there. We're going to get one last question, Ryan. And, and since he's been a topic of conversation today, it's sort of an NFL draft question. <laughs> Brian Crawl Daddy says, do you think Phil Dracovic will be a first round pick next year? I think he has a chance. I, I think right now people are kind of hyping up Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, obviously as the top two potentially next year. And then there's like a, uh, just a crazy amount of maybes, right? Like people keep talking about the Will Levis kid from Kentucky. I've seen Tyler Van Dyke from from Miami be thrown around there. I've seen Fodrakovic's name getting thrown in, into the conversation. Anthony as well. freaking Richardson is Anthony a- Richardson, who's thrown like forty passes. Or what eighty passes? Something, some yeah. crazy small number like that. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of guys that people are excited about because they obviously have talent, but there's not a guy that has is to the level yet where you're going to say, yes, that is the, the top three type of quarterback next year, top four type of quarterback. I just don't see that yet, but I think Phil has as much talent as just about anybody. I mean, he's a big, strong kid, good athlete, strong arm. And he was, he was starting off the year really good last year before he got injured. So I think he could be in the conversation. Yes. He needs to take a step forward. He needs to stay healthy more than anything, but he certainly has the talent to be. There's no question. I have some thoughts. I have six words in response to the notion of Will Levis and Anthony Richardson being top 10 NFL draft picks. And here's my six words. Connor Cook, Cardell Jones, Christian Hackenberg. That's exactly what people were saying about them coming into their last years. I'll give you two. I'll give you two words. I'll give you two. 
Emory Jones. Yeah. Was he a guy that people are mocking as a first round pick? Oh, he was in several oh pro football focused mock drafts last year. Several. Like, if you're looking at Will Levis and thinking he's a top five pick, I, Connor Cook, Cardell Jones, Christian Hackenberg. You remember? You remember that year? It was, I think, it was McShay. I think it might yeah. have been Tom McShay. And you know that, like, that's what happens too. Is like somebody puts a guy. In, well, I don't want to be the guy that, that that doesn't have this guy that somebody else has a quarterback. You know, and and there's groupthink that that comes with these things. You know that, Ryan. You're in that. You're yes. in that industry. Um. Yeah. But it's like I, I remember when McShay put out a mock draft, and I believe he had Hackenberg. I don't know if he was in the top ten. He was definitely in the, in the first round. But he had a mock draft that had Cardell Jones and Connor Cook in the top ten. I think top five. Yeah. And it's just like I remember a time like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Like, okay, I, I think Connor Cook's a really good college quarterback, but do they in the top five pick? And none of those guys even sniffed the. I mean, didn't actually Hackenberg go the highest of all of them? Or am I am I thinking he, he went second round? I know Cook went fourth. I can't remember where Jones went. What he rounds. went, yeah. But and I remember when uh, wasn't it the Jets that drafted Card uh, Christian Hackenberg? Yes. And and when he got picked in the second round, there's a lot of people like, wait, what? Yeah, Cardo Jones and, also a fourth round pick, by the way. Yeah, and and Cook went in the fourth round to the Raiders. I remember. And Jones was a what? Bill Bill drafted him, I think. I believe Cornell? so. I, uh, yes, let me see here. Yes, Buffalo Bills. Got it, yep. And in 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, in four years, he played with three different teams. So the Bills drafted him in the fourth round, and he was gone after a year. I think, Car- I think Cardell was in the AAF as well. Yeah, he was, was in – is that the uh, one with like the, the – um, It was American Alliance or something. Yeah, he was the D.C. Defenders. Yeah. Yes. I do remember it. him doing that. And yep. that that's the league I thought had a chance. If it wasn't for COVID, that's the thing I think that's the league I thought had a chance. Yeah, that's a fun league um, to watch. Their uh their numbers actually weren't that bad as far as viewership because yeah. they, they weren't fighting against the NFL because they were right. playing in the spring. It was, right. it was a good idea. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah, see uh Connor Cook played a uh he played 16, 17, 18, 19. He played four he played also four 16, 17, 18. He played four years in the NFL with four different teams. Uh, was also with the Houston Roughnecks. He threw a grand total of 21 NFL passes. So, yes. So, I just look at some of these and I'm just like, guys, come is on. Is that bad? Is is that bad, 21 passes? It's not a lot. It's not <laughs> a lot. So, um, you know, so Zachary Whitfield asked a question. Look, here's the deal. We have no problem with people from other fan groups coming into our chat. We have we have a, one of our favorite people is Ladarius Martin who comes in here. He's an Alabama fan. We have a Michigan fan who's been coming here lately. We have people all the time. You come in here and you can talk about USC. We've allowed you to talk a lot about USC. But when you start trash talking and we're going to beat you all, and all you, you know at that point in time you're just trying to pick a fight, and that's not what we're going to allow. All right? So have some fun, but you you kind of you kind of cross the line. Okay? So uh, don't do that. And you'll be allowed to stay here, but come in here looking to pick a fight. And sorry, man, we're, we're just not going to, we're not going to allow that to happen. So anyway, so that Ryan is today's show. It's a good show. A lot of good conversation to talk about. Anytime we talk about quarterback play, it's going to be a good one. I don't know where my guy may say K is, he doesn't have the thing, but no, normally what we do here is, uh, is we say, hit that like button, smash the like button, hit the subscribe Hit the notification bell. So let's just say we happen to do a show or two on Saturday, maybe, uh, that you'll you'll know, right? And so uh, we may we may have an extra show or two on Saturday. We'll, we'll find out. 
not two, two. We have we're planning on maybe doing one. We might have a second one for some reason, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, so you may you, you may need to be known if you're out and about and we're gonna have a show, you hit that notification bell, bam, it pops up. Hey, they're doing a show. I should probably watch. So that's what we need, and then share the podcast. Likes and shares, everybody. You have to understand, help us grow our channel, right? There's a lot of ways you can financially support us, but Another way, if you can't if you can't financially support us, or you want to do more than just the financial support, is not only watching the show, which helps us make money, but also share the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Right? We're trying to grow our channel every day so we can continue to add to our team. And as May and we got to get May Seke up here, right? Because he's got to come. Join the message board. Hit the like button. Subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Share the podcast. Leave a five star review. And of course, as always, go Irish. Thanks everybody for joining us for the Irish breakdown podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.